Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest would rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testified, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because it's weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Let's pray. Father, we do desire to draw near to you through the ministry of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that right now your Holy Spirit would consecrate your word. You'd sanctify me as I share, Lord. You'd remove me once again from the equation that we would hear from you. But, Lord, you would clear this room of any distraction, put the enemy at bay that your people and anyone that's not yours yet will come to know you and hear from you and be changed. Even this day, Lord, we can be changed. We must be changed. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You guys, it's getting near that time of year where the Peanuts little movies, a 30-minute thing. You remember the, when you were a kid? It was big news. The special came turning like that, and you knew that you were getting one of those amazing animated Snoopy-like thing, you know, the, the, the Peanuts characters. And so they come around Thanksgiving time, and then they come around Christmas. I think there might have been one around Easter, too. But uh, Charles Schultz, of course, you know, he was the author and the writer of these things. And in one of his Peanuts cartoons, you had Lucy and Linus having a discussion. They're looking out the window, and they're watching it rain. And Lucy begins the conversation. You know, Lucy was kind of hardcore, if you remember. Uh, Lucy says, boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? Linus says, it will never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, this cartoons were different back then. In the ninth <laughs> chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that it would never happen again and that the sign of the promise was in the rainbow. Boy, a lot has changed, hasn't it? <laughs> Lucy says, you've taken a great load off my mind. And Linus says, sound theology has a way of doing that. <laughs> And so as we begin Hebrews 7, uh, this has been, I talked about last week, that uh, it's not like a 101 level course. It's, it's, some of you that are here like, what does all this mean? It's pretty, it's almost complicated, isn't it? This is deeper doctrine. This is deeper theology. This is a little bit of steak as opposed to, I don't know, vanilla wafer or something like that. You know, so this is, this is a little bit more meat to digest. But 
As Linus said so well, theology, sound doctrine, is not meant from a biblical perspective when we read these things that are deep and uh, what it's not meant to do, it's not meant to confound our minds. It's not meant to bend our minds. It's definitely not meant to puff our minds up with knowledge, is it? Because that doesn't really help much. No, it's not meant to give us spiritual pride. What it is meant to do is take a load off and to strengthen our faith and to give us resolve and confidence in our faith. That's what the writer of Hebrews is doing here, but it is a little complicated. We have to take it little bit by little bit and say, Lord, help this go in and help me digest it, that it really does fortify my faith. Webster's defines the word perfect. We'll get back to our back to our study here. Webster's defines the word perfect as some of the following. One, being entirely without fault or defect. We'd all agree with that, right? How about this one? It says another definition for perfect is flawless. Another one is satisfying all requirements, legally valid, lacking no essential detail, Boy, does that sound like a description of Jesus or what? The renowned artist Salvador Dali, he said these words. He says, have no fear of perfection. You'll never reach it. (laughs) And that's true, isn't it? We will never in this lifetime reach perfection. And yet here's the thing. God requires it. Hmm. We're not going to reach it, and yet God requires it. And that's where Jesus comes in. God both requires perfection, but has also provided it in the person of his son. Aren't you glad he has the requirement, plus meets the need? In the most literal sense, only Jesus can be described as entirely perfect. Not a figure. In the most literal sense, he's the only one that's entirely perfect which is really good news for us. You know, the gospel means good news. This is part of the good news. The fact that Jesus is perfect, for us, we need that to be saved. We need his perfection to walk in newness of life, and we need his perfection to live for all eternity. If you're taking notes, you see the title on the screen there, Our Perfect High Priest. And the author continues expressing this teaching on Jesus assuming the priesthood, and Jesus as the high priest that's greater than anything that anyone understood prior to his coming. And it's all according to the order of Melchizedek, but fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. Does that make sense? And so the writer continues, and because it was such a new teaching and a new doctrine, it wasn't new to God, it was God revealing a layer that no one else had fully understood. You know, God can do that, right? You know, when we get to heaven, he's going to reveal some other layers we never understood, verses we never understood, and verses me and other pastors have kind of misunderstood. You guys all got it wrong. But not like a false doctrine wrong, just you didn't understand the full nuance of the whole thing. And this is what the author is doing. He's peeling back these layers to say, you need to understand 
why God sent Jesus the way he sent them and what he fulfilled in the context of not just Israel as a nation, but the priesthood and the order that predated the priesthood. And so the first thing we want to look at, starting in verse 11, taking notes, what I've titled an evident need. Starting in verse 11, therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, we'll skip the parentheses there for a second, what further need was there? Well, there is a need. Verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah. There's a need. It's obvious that Jesus um, is different, has come in a different manner. The law of Moses contained the commandments of God, the ceremonies of God, the sacrifices to God, and the priesthood representing the people before God, and the tabernacle and temple designed by God, right? Would you agree all that is true? Yes. All that was a construct that man didn't create. God gave this to the nation of Israel and said, here it is. Remember Moses up on the mountain? God says, here's what you, want to, here's what you got to do. Go down and write it all down. And all that was given to Moses on the mountain. He comes down, he gives it, and the law is given. And so Israel begins to do all this. They build the tabernacle. They consecrate the tribe of Levi. All of these things were given by God. But even if you met someone who had never read the Bible, and you explained to them about 1,500 years prior to the coming of Jesus in Bethlehem, 1446, 1446 years prior to be exact, but that's when God gave Moses the law. So about 1,500 years before Jesus came to Bethlehem, Moses is given the law. And if you talk to someone who had never read the Bible before, and you ask them, say, hey, what do you think about the tribe of Levi and Israel? For 1,500 years, they've had the law. They've had this mandate that the Levitical priesthood comes from uh, the line of Aaron, they have all these required feasts, all these required sacrifices. And then you ask them, how do you think it went over those 1,500 years? Um, do you suppose that the people in the priesthood had a perfect run of things? 1,500 years. Now, try and do something perfect for 1,500 days. Think about it. But you ask anybody, say, how do you think they did? Do you think that they... They never had a slightest infraction in 1,500 years. Or maybe the people weren't perfect, but probably the priests were perfect, right? Were there any compromised or corrupted priests? Do you know your Bibles? Yes. We were in the book of Nehemiah. We saw one. His name was Eliashib. He gave Tobiah a room in the temple. Really bad, bad idea. There was compromise. Jesus was sold, basically, not sold by money, but, well, there was money in exchange even for Judas. But Caiaphas was an evil guy, put Jesus on the cross. He was the high priest. Of course, there had been some compromise. There had been some corrupt priest. Has there ever been any, any gaps in fulfilling the commandments during that time? Well, yeah, there was times they didn't even do the Passover. There was gaps. And here's the thing. Even if men thought 
even if men thought everything was perfect, God from heaven was saying, it's not even close. Even if you did think it was perfect, God says, your idea of perfect and my idea of perfect are not the same. Because sometimes people will say that. They'll say, yeah, I've done everything right. Done everything right. Remember, Jesus had a rich young ruler came to him that way. He said, I've kept all of those commandments. He said, really? Let's go through them together. I'm pretty sure you failed number one and number ten. But um, you've got a covetous heart, and you've certainly never loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But uh, which, again, because of perfection and because of the fact that God was looking at this from a different perspective, he had positioned Melchizedek long before Levi, long before Aaron and their descendants were ever born. God foresaw the need for a perfect priest that could or that would not come from the priestly tribe, but from the king tribe of Judah, who would be both king and priest, as was what Melchizedek. Remember, he was both the king and the priest, if you're with us in our previous studies, of the city of Salem, which would later become what? Jerusalem. So if you're uh, not familiar with this, you can go back and listen to the last couple of weeks and get caught up. And the argument being made here as you follow from verse 11, uh, the middle of verse 11 there, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the, according to the order of Melchizedek? The author's writing the question, what was the need that another according to the same order as Melchizedek, not according to the tribe of Levi, but according to Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Abraham, he was greater than Abraham. Abraham came and paid tithes to Melchizedek. He superseded Abraham. We talked about that last week. So why is there this need that not only is the Aaronic priesthood, although it's ordained by God, we understand that the priesthood of Aaron and the tribe of Levi is ordained by God. It was a ministry of the nation of Israel according to the law. But we understand that even though God had given that priesthood and ministry, it was insufficient. Not only was it inferior, that priesthood, that order of Aaron, inferior to that of Melchizedek, but it gave way to a priest that is all-sufficient in Jesus. In other words, Melchizedek is outside the Levitical priesthood, and he is the direct pointing of an arrow forward to the priesthood of Christ himself. The order, it, it mentions three times here, this order of Melchizedek. Not confined by the law and superior to every other high priest. Does this make sense? I know it's, again, we, we talked about this is like we're moving to class 401 to 501 now or whatever else. I mean, it's, it's pretty uh, deep stuff. And it's really one of those things that most of the things of the Bible that, that kind of challenge us are thinking, we just first have to receive them by faith. Say, so God, first I believe if this is what you're saying, I receive it. So now, Lord, if you're saying that there's an order that you had before time and space put above the Aaronic priesthood, I want to understand exactly why you did that. And we're going to get to that in just a minute, but we have to say that there is, God says, whether we, whether we saw it or not, because remember, in Jesus' time, 
They did not see the need for another priesthood. When Jesus came along, had they realized he was the high priest, they would not have crucified him. Does this make sense? They didn't see any. They're like, we got Caiaphas, and he's a great guy. <coughs> Caiaphas like, let's kill him. That was their priest. They had a murderer for priest, and they had a sacrificial lamb right there in their midst. But they didn't think there was a need for another priesthood. They didn't ever have the connection with Melchizedek, even though David had quoted in Psalm 110, they never saw the connection of Melchizedek. This was completely mind-blowing to the early believers, like, wow, all this time we've read about Melchizedek, we never saw the significance of it. And again, to go back to whether some people think he actually was Christ or a type of Christ, which I believe he was a Canaanite man, and a type, much like Job was not Jewish either, but a type, and no genealogy given to, to say that just like Jesus would come out of nowhere, born of the Father, and he would not come out of the tribe of Levi, Melchizedek was pointing towards this. But again, this would blow the minds of, of, of the believers, and it certainly was not seen as a need to anyone in Israel when Jesus came because they're like, we have a priesthood. We have a temple. Now, 70 years after, in, in 70 AD, there would be no temple. Temple would be gone. Which, who told us the temple would be gone? Jesus. The very week of his crucifixion on the Mount of Olives, he said, the temple will be destroyed. Nobody believed in it. Like, oh, there's no way. This took you know, a long time to build this thing. Herod's worked on it forever. And Jesus said, it'll be gone. And why would it be gone? Well, the same reason the veil would be torn. Jesus said, the temple will be gone. The veil will be torn. The priesthood will be gone because I'll take over all three. Does that make sense? I'll reside in the Holy of Holies in heaven. I'll take over the temple in heaven will be where I'll sit, and the priesthood will be on my shoulders. But there was this evident need that wasn't so evident to people, and the writer is putting it down saying, look, the need was there because God said the need was there, whether anyone recognized it or not. Now, this priest to come would have an unmistakable qualification and demonstration of his authority. So whoever this priest would be, of the order of Melchizedek, God is saying he'll have an unmistakable characteristic. What is it? Let's take a look at the next bullet point if you're taking notes. We had an evident need. How about an endless life? Look at verse 16. Who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. Now, this certainly wouldn't apply to Eliashib. Eli the priest, Aaron himself, Eleazar, Caiaphas, none of them had the power of an endless life, amen? None of those other priests in the history of Israel. The coming of Jesus, his ascension to the throne and the Holy of Holies in heaven is based upon his fulfillment of the will of the Father to first be the perfect sacrificial lamb, then his resurrection from the dead. The perfection required, look back at verse 11, uh, therefore if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, a perfection was required. But therefore if it came through and it didn't come through the priesthood, we still have the need for perfection even though it hasn't yet been 
accomplished in the priesthood. Still, remember, I said at the outset, God requires perfection, and the only one that can give it is himself. So he's saying there has to be perfection, but the priesthood's like, we can't do it. The law, we can't keep it. It could only be fulfilled in a sinless life. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4. Turn your Bibles to the left just a little bit. Don't forget that everything we're reading is built upon what's already been written, not just in the Scriptures themselves, but this own letter. Look at Hebrews 4.14. Draw your attention. This is several weeks back now. Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, a matter of fact, it's, it's um, chapter 4 that kind of is the ramp because the mention of Melchizedek comes right in the first few verses of chapter 5. The ramp to explaining Melchizedek is the sinless life of Jesus. But it's the sinless life of Jesus which also is demonstrated in the endless life of Jesus. In other words, the only one that can be eternal and never be conquered by death is the only one that is also sinless. You see the connection there. There are two sides of the same coin. They say, is Jesus sinless or eternal? Yes. Yes. The sinless life is the only one that could conquer death and the grave. The sinless life is the only one that could conquer death and the grave. In other words, Jesus, as the qualified and acceptable high priest to replace the Aaronic priesthood, could not be tainted. Listen to this clearly. Jesus could not be tainted by sin, nor could he be restrained by death. You and I are tainted by sin and we're restrained by death. That's why you have a life insurance policy. Jesus didn't need a life insurance policy. He could have told um, Blue Cross Blue Shield, here's the life insurance policy. I'll be back in three days. But I, you're still going to have to pay up because I will officially die, but then I'm going to come back and collect three days later. He could have done that. He didn't do that. He didn't need it because he had a lot of money in heaven, right? You know, everything's taken care of. He doesn't need anything from us. But we, we are tainted by sin, and we are restrained by death unless he intervenes. And, of course, Jesus was not restrained by any of these things. He was not tainted. He was sinless. He was, as we talked about the definition from Webster's, he's flawless. And death could have no hold on him. Only Jesus shattered the grave and walked out of his own accord. Now, he raised three people from the dead that we know of in his earthly ministry, but they didn't raise themselves. He raised them. One was on a bed. One was on the way to the grave, on a, on a funeral pyre, if you will, and the other one was in the grave. He raised three people. It shows actually three just barely died, but ready for the grave, and fully dead in the grave, and Jesus raised up. But he himself was different even than raising Lazarus, Lazarus didn't raise himself. Jesus did. Jesus strolled out of his own accord. Thus shattering death, a major 
difference even than those that he rose from the grave. And they would actually die again. Jesus would never die after that. He ascended into the clouds. So we have a fundamental difference of Jesus than any other person and certainly any other priest. And how, thanks be to God, now we, we can overcome death by his overcoming of death. Isn't that great? Because he shattered death and he destroyed the power of Satan, he destroyed the power of sin, we can have that same victory. And so we see again the argument laid out that was uh, given under Moses. Um, You know, God had basically, with the Aaronic priesthood, this is just kind of a layman's term, but God had given a season or a shelf life to the priesthood that was given to Israel. Now, as I mentioned before, because God has times in Scripture where there's unfinished business, the full job of the priesthood was not completed, so the millennium reign of Christ will be the other portion of it. Just like there's still, in the 70 weeks of Daniel, 69 weeks have been completed, there's still the 70th week to be completed. And there's a gap between the 69th week and the 70th week, and there'll be a gap between the priesthood's work in this season and shelf life and what remains to be done But in the middle of both those is the cross and the resurrection and Jesus ascending and taking on the priesthood upon himself. That's why the cross sits at the center of everything. It's central to world history. It's central to the plan of God. But that it did have the, the, the tribe of Levi and the need for that period had this shelf life and and season. Nevertheless, according to the order of Melchizedek, and again, that's mentioned, as I said, three times in this text, who was what? He was before the law. That's why the writer goes straight to Melchizedek. He was before the law, and he came to complete. When, when, remember when Abraham comes to Melchizedek, it says in Melchizedek, he was the priest of the Most High God. Jesus is the priest of the Most High God before, above the Aaronic priesthood. And Jesus, understand, he did not come to abolish the law. This is not not putting the law in some bad place. No. He came to fill it up. Again, if the glass is half full, that's pure water in there, but the other half Jesus fills up, completes the, the remaining chapters, if you will. So notice the language here. Verse 18, from the one hand, if there is an annulling of the former commandment, that seems kind of a strong term here, but let's understand what it means. This is not an an annulling of the law's value or purpose, just its season. Just its season. Not its value or purpose. Jesus tearing the veil signaled what? The new access to the Father via a better hope and a better covenant. It didn't say that the previous had no real value. No, no, God gave it. But this is a revealing of something better. And we actually see those same words in in verse 22, which we'll get to. Uh, Notice again the law. It it goes on to say, for the law, verse 19, made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope. The law made nothing perfect. The law cannot make us perfect, nor could any sacrifice 
nor any priest. So there must be a substitutionary perfection to bring us near to a God who is perfect and requires perfection. Does it make sense? It's kind of like um, everyone now has enough electronics that you have coupling devices. We've got to put something in the middle to make two things on either end work, right? And Jesus is basically coming in and saying, this will not... In other words, you can't connect to my Father unless I come in between. Make sense? And when I come in between, the perfection is established that he'll only accept... He'll only accept perfection, but you don't have it, and I'll stand in the middle and provide it. That's why he's called our mediator, right, in the middle. He makes intercession for us. All of these these concepts, the holiness of God and the perfection of God, require a perfect sacrifice and a perfect priest. And again, Israel didn't know all this. They were just kind of going through these motions which God had given, and they're playing out all the time. Every time they have a Passover lamb, they did not know that's going to be Yeshua. All the time they were playing out the very things that would be fulfilled in Jesus, but nobody knew. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts to unveil it, partially in himself, partially in the writings of the apostles and the writers that he gives these scriptures to post-resurrection and post-ascension. And only one priest has been ordained, according to the text here, let's take a look at it, by not just the calling, but an oath of God. Pick it up with verse 20. Inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath. He is capitalized in your Bible, he being um, Jesus himself. For verse 21, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, now, when you see a capital him talking to a capital him, do you see that in your Bibles? It's in, the, it's in the, the last few words of verse 21. But he, capital he, with an oath by him, capital him, who said to him, this is the father and the son having a conversation. The father speaking to the son, and it goes on, the Lord has sworn, again, this is referenced once again, the same passage in Psalms, the Lord has sworn and will not relent By the way, when God says he won't relent, it's done. He's not changing his mind. He will not relent. You are a priest forever. He said, in other words, forever I have named Jesus to be my priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, which, again, no one really understood all the significance until this writing. Verse 22, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death. There it is again. They're tainted by death. Jesus is not. They couldn't raise three days later. Three days later, they still stayed in the grave. Amen? 30 days later, they were still in the grave. 3,000 days later, they were still in the grave. They were prevented by death from continuing. That's why, again, I I was watching a um, a documentary on the men that made America. John D. Rockefeller, J.P. Morgan, they would have stayed alive forever if they could. They had built empires. And then they would see that John, Car- you know, uh, Carnegie, all that. They'd, they'd look at their t- the sands going through the hourglass. But not Jesus. He says, I've got to go to Jerusalem, but after three days, it's done. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. What a difference. He's like, I'm not going to retire. I'm going to exalt myself yeah. Yeah. way above what you've seen so far. 
goes on, look at back, back in our passage. They were prevented by death, verse 23, from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners and become higher than the heavens, who does, not need, uh, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices. Jesus doesn't need to offer sacrifices. He did it once and for all. First for his own sins, then for the people's. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. Verse 28, for the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected Forever. Amen. Amen. I, I got to believe when the writer gets this from the Holy Spirit, he doesn't even know what all this means. He's just writing it down. Like, this is like, these are like, the Bible's called the oracles of God. No man could even write this way. It's, it's from the mind of God. It's from the heart of God. It's from the timelessness of God. And God says, this is what me and the Father, me and the Son, the Spirit have ordained and now we're giving it to you, and you've got to write it down. And then I'm sure the writer's like, how am I going to explain this to anybody? <laughs> it's like, don't worry. I'll put the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And when the Holy Spirit's in their heart, they'll kind of get it, and they won't even know how they get it. Like, I get it at a certain level. I mean, I, 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 when I get to heaven, I'll get it way more. But I get it at a certain level because I'm saved. So it all makes sense to me because the Spirit of God has been placed in me, and now I, I can actually have the same locker combination to kind of, it opens the door and understand a little bit. Oh, I see what's in there. Jesus, again, um, he is ordained by God with an oath. This was not, the, the other priests, they were just, they were biologically born into the priesthood. But if God says of Melchizedek's order, and my son, I give my oath, I will not relent. You are forever. He did not say that to any other priest. He didn't say to Caiaphas or Elijah, you're forever. No, no. It's to Jesus alone. By an oath from the Father to be his chosen priest for all eternity, his only begotten, whose power of an endless life is the surety, as it says here in the text, of a new covenant, which brings us to our final point, and we'll close with this, an eternal priesthood. We saw that we have a need, right? We knew that we have this evident need, and we have, uh, the, we have the perfect qualification. Jesus is the only one you can put the checkbox beside, say, is there, has there ever been anyone who has an endless life? One check for one man for all eternity. So there, all the, if, you, if you look at God's qualifications and you see a listing of them, we're going to look at a list of them in just a sec. It's a, it's a, it's a lengthy list and everyone else is going to fail right out of the gate with the endless life part, much less all the other stuff. The sinlessness, God didn't swear an oath that any of us would be the priest forever. All these different things, Jesus matches every single qualification to be the eternal priesthood. Here again, um, we have death and mortality. We talked about it. Verse 23 we're prevented by death from continuing, but he continues forever. 
an unchangeable priesthood. Aside from their sins, aside from their flaws, all the other priests, their big hindrance is death. Get to be 80, 85, 90. They're like, see ya. Whoever's behind me, you take over. Jesus didn't say, all right, when I'm done, uh, here, Matthew, you take it. No. He said, no, three days later, I'll rise. He doesn't have that hindrance to continue in the priestly duties. But Jesus, once he assumed his rightful place, once he tore the veil, once he rose from the grave, once his priestly garments were put upon him, it's eternal. It's everlasting. He's never walking the shores of Galilee as the, as the servant. He's never, uh, never again will he be smitten on the cheek or spit upon. None of that. That was a one-time deal. And he said, Father, forgive them, but that was a one-time. No one will ever, and, and anyone that uses his name in vain, if you don't get saved, you're going to meet him in a totally different way. It won't be the humble servant at that point. He'll be the lion of the tribe of Judah to you. Different, different ball game altogether. There'll be no successor to Jesus. There's no priest coming after him. Every other priest had a son, and he'd have a son, and he'd have a son. There's no successor to Jesus. Nobody can add to his perfection or challenge his authority. Nobody. These closing verses in 25 through 28, you, you saw them. It's a listing of things here, and I'm going to put them up on the screen for a second. They give us a unique composite that Jesus out, uh, of, of, of Jesus, that's an outline, if you will. It's not everything about him. It, it, all, the book of John says if we kept writing about Jesus, all the books in the world couldn't contain it. But it's an outline of all that we need and all that he is in meeting our desperate need, both for salvation and post-salvation. And let's take a look at these to kind of come to a close together. Let's take a look at this list, and it's... Um, in its entirety, I have 12 things here that are listed right in the text. You can underline them. They're not um, all listed exactly the way I'm listing I'm, I'm saying you what, sometimes they're exactly worded, but sometimes they're what the meaning is. So let's take a look at them uh, together. The first one, it tells us he is able to save to the uttermost. Number one, he is Savior. He's able to save the uttermost. You know, firemen save lives. Nurses save lives. Doctors save lives. Jesus saves souls. Huge difference. Amen? Souls. Doctors can't get to a soul. Jesus gets to the soul level. So, number one, it says he's able to save to the uttermost. Uttermost is the depth of your soul. It's not just kind of getting you a life support thing. Number two, it says... Since he always lives, uh, oh, uh, number two, those who come to God through him. Number two, Jesus is the entryway or the door. Those that, how does it say you come to God? Through him. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father, what? But by me. So here the writer Hebrews expressing, not only is he the Savior, he's the entryway. There's no other door. You can't, Jesus said, if you try and come a back door, you'll be cast out. You have to come through one door. He's the only one. Always uh, living to make intercession with us, which brings us to number three. Uh, he is the mediator. He's the one that is interceding on our behalf. Our prayers go through Christ 
to the Father. He's our mediator. Then it says, uh, he, and it always lives to make intercession for us. Verse 26, for such a high priest. So here we have it spelled out again. He is our high priest. Our high priest. I don't need to go into a confessional. And you don't ever need to come in a box with me in the confessional. <laughs> Tell me all that you've done. You know. uh, no, no, you have a high priest. You have a mediator and you have a high priest in Jesus, you have access to him because he's torn that veil. So he's our high priest. It says the next uh, in the list that he's holy. And again, this is his sinlessness. But not just, it, it is the holiness of God that is kind of beyond our comprehension holy. A purity that is whiter than white, clean, you could ever get something. Like a holiness that actually fall on your face like dead if you're in his presence. If he, came, if he came, Jesus came and stood right here, we'd all fall on our faces. It's a holiness that we can't comprehend, but God says that's how holy he is. Uh, the next one, harmless. But this, what this actually means is guiltless or fearless. Boy, that is not us, is it? We have guilt and we have fear. This harmless in the actual Greek, it, it's better kind of rendered guiltless or having no fear. Harmless. In other words, you can't harm him. There's <laughs> no other way of kind of looking at it. You can't harm Jesus. It was once that he allowed himself, but now, uh, but he's also, he is harmless. He's meek. There's other, there's other connotations to this. Uh, number seven, it says he was harmless and undefiled. Never even came close to sin. Undefiled. No sin touched him. He did not sin, but sin couldn't cling to him. He could take it on and take it to the grave, but it couldn't, touch, it couldn't stay. It would be like kind of something he could wash right off, whereas us, it sinks into us. Undefiled, sinless. Separate from sinners. And it's um, next... Um, Become higher than the heavens. What does that mean? Exalted. Higher than the heavens. You think about uh, the, the highest you can go. Jesus sits above. No, what the point here is if it's higher than the heavens, Jesus sits above everything else. We're exalted. You know, a king always took the high place. Uh, they always put the, the, you know, where you had to look up. Jesus above everything else. A highly exalted. Another one of his attributes. Highly exalted, higher than the heaven, who does not need daily uh, as those high priests to offer up sacrifices. Um, there's nothing that Jesus needs. He's all sufficient. There's nothing he needs. He doesn't need anything. We need things, and what we need, he's all sufficient to supply. All sufficient. For the law... Um, uh, uh, next one, uh, for he did not, uh, for he himself uh, offered himself up in, at the end of verse 27, and so we have the sacrificial substitute, the sacrificial substitute. He offered himself, in other words, himself for all of us, for the millions of people who become born again, Jesus is the substitute for them all. Number 11. For the law appoints as high priest men who have a weakness, but the word of the oath 
came after the law, appoints the Son. Jesus is, according to this testimony, the confirmed one. Confirmed by an oath of God himself. He's the confirmed one. You don't have to wonder. Well, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe someone else, uh, maybe uh, this person's Jesus. No, God has said, I've confirmed him as the one. Now, again, all these are confirmations. But again, this was God's testimony. No, no other priest did he say that about. We have the word of God confirming it. You're, you're a priest forever. The Lord will not relent, right? So we have the confirmed one. Then lastly, the son who has been perfected forever. Number 12 here, the appointed son forever. The appointed son forever. Forever. See, judgment will be eternal, but also <laughs> salvation is eternal. And we need an eternal son, an eternal priesthood. I love, and, and you need, the, back to that all sufficient, where all sufficient and eternity all come together. Do you need Jesus this week or just in eternity? Yeah. D.L. Moody, one of the things that he said, and I've been meditating on a lot lately, he would constantly remind himself what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. You need to remind yourself this week, Jesus is all sufficient. That he's your, lo, I'm with you. You might have some tough days this week or next month or next year. Jesus said, I am with you always. D.L. Moody constantly reminded himself of that passage. Lo, I am with you always. Lo, I am with you always. Um, Priests, we'll close with this here. Priests were, were given by God to do two things primarily. One, minister unto God. And two, to minister to the people of God. Pastors were then called, the New Testament, do the same thing. Minister unto God and minister to the people of God. You, whether you're any kind of full-time ministry, have been, also been called to minister to God and minister to the people of God. That's what I'll be teaching on this Wednesday night. A new commandment I give you, to love one another. We've all been called to minister, but here's the thing about Jesus and us. We can't meet every need. This priest can. Amen? That's the beauty of what the, the author is saying. He says, you'll miss some needs, but he'll miss none of them. Amen? Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the surety of this covenant, the surety of your word, that Jesus, you not only have shattered the grave, but Lord, we have an advocate, a mediator. We can speak to you day by day for strength, for forgiveness, because you sacrificed yourself once and for all. And Lord, because of you, we can be born again and walk in this victory that you have secured through your sinlessness, your conquering of death, and the power of an endless life. 